We're turning again to Deuteronomy chapter 27, and we're going to read from verse 1, and we'll just read the first 10 verses. And Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you this day. And it shall be on the day when ye shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, that thou shalt set thee up great stones, and plaster them with plaster. And thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law, when thou art passed over, that thou mayest go in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord thy God of thy fathers hath promised thee. Therefore it shall be, when ye be gone over Jordan, that ye shall set up these stones, which I command you this day, in Mount Ebal, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster. And thou shalt, and there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stones. Thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them. Thou shalt build the altar of the Lord thy God of whole stones, and thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord thy God. And thou shalt offer peace offerings, and there shalt thou eat and rejoice before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly. And Moses and the priests, the Levites, spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed, and hearken, O Israel. This day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God, and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee, this day. Last week we saw that when Israel passed over Jordan they were to set up some great stones and plaster them and write all the words of the law on them. We mentioned a few months ago the fact that many today in the ecumenical movement seek and speak about of essentials and non-essentials as regards what one believes and therefore seek to omit certain things when we associate with others who disagree with us in doctrine. It's a strange thing that it is generally those who adhere to and teach such things as believers' baptism and being born again and having an assurance of their salvation. Those are the ones who usually have to compromise on these so-called non-essentials. I was reminded of this actually when I was reading uh, the other day and the fact that Moses says all the law of the prophets and all the law was to be written on these stones. A man called Ironside in his commentary on Daniel, here's what he says. I have heard Christians refer to certain precepts in the scriptures as non-essentials. But we may rest assured there are no non-essentials in our Bibles. The word of the Lord 
The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified the seven times. When people talk of non-essentials in regard to anything concerning which God has revealed his mind, it is well to ask, essential or non-essential to what? If it be a question of the soul's salvation, undoubtedly the one great essential is faith in his blessed Son, whose finished work alone avails to put away sin and procure peace with God. But if it be a question of what is essential to the enjoyment of communion with God, essential to obtaining the Lord's approval at the judgment seat of Christ, then it is well to remember that in everything the believer is sanctified to the obedience of Christ. We have to obey God's word. It was essential for Moses to stress that all the words of the law were to be written on this, this wall. Uh, following on from this, the Israelites were to erect an altar, a very basic one. Nothing of man was to be included. There was no fancy work to be done on any of the stones. And there they were to offer peace offerings to God, and shalt eat there and rejoice before the Lord thy God. It was to be a great time of rejoicing in this land flowing with milk and honey. Now, this week we want to turn just to verses 9 and 10. Verses 1 to 8, we saw it was Moses with the elders. The elders giving commands with Moses indicated that the people were committed to carrying out all the commands as a people of God. But here in these verses, it's different. Verse 9 and 10. Take Moses and the priests. Moses and the priests. The Levites spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed, and hearken, O Israel, this day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God, and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Here we have the priests standing with Moses rather than the elders. You know, it says, take heed. Eight times in Deuteronomy, and many times in Scripture generally, we have this expression, take heed. And each time this phrase is mentioned, it carries a warning. How foolish one would be to risk danger by ignoring any sign which says, take heed. The New Testament, we have take heed many times. Take, for instance, Paul's warning to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. Take heed of the doctrine. Am I to take heed only to what I consider to be the essentials? No, I don't think so. In all our talks, 
we look at prophecy and types in the Old Testament. Perhaps someone will say, you people place too much emphasis on doctrine and also on prophecy. But look what Peter says, 2 Peter 1.19 We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. They were to take heed to prophecy what it says people who ignore the Old Testament we see in the Old Testament types of Christ and various things that we need to take heed to take heed to Peter says as unto a light that shineth in a dark place but to go back to Moses and the priests with with the priests now involved along with Moses it demonstrates a priestly concern that Moses and the priests had for the people as to how they walked in their lives before their God previously we had Moses with the elders which indicated the desire of the people to act responsibly in carrying out that which was enjoined but here Moses speaking with the priests shows this concern that those who were now the people of God therefore should show a responsibility and concern to obey the commandments of a holy God who had blessed them abundantly. The writers in the New Testament in the pastoral epistles had a concern also for their new converts. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savour. Oh, they wanted the Ephesians to walk in love Dear children, walk in love as Christ hath loved us. In Colossians, Paul writing to the, the saints at Colossae, 1 verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. They had this priestly concern for their converts. They had a concern to see them walking in the the truth and walking with God in their daily lives and you know they also wish their new converts to join with them in prayer before the throne of grace together and for each other writing in Colossians again in verses 4 uh, chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3 persevere in prayer watching in it with thanksgiving praying at the same time also for us Paul desired that the new converts would be involved in his ministry through prayer and constant thanksgiving. Going back to, to verse 9 here in our passage today, it says, Take heed and hearken. And that was two 
expressions. Two expressions which should have made them sit up and listen. Take heed and listen. Something important was about to be said. And here's what it is. Thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. They were reminded that they were the people of God. God had redeemed them out of the kingdom of evil through the blood of a lamb. Wonderfully blessed them. And they were to dwell in a land flowing with milk and honey. Likewise we have been redeemed from the power of Satan. And translated into the kingdom of the Son of God. Through the death of the Lamb of God. We have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven. We have been abundantly blessed. As were the children of Israel. Now look at verse 10. You've become the people of God. Take heed and listen. It says, Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God and do his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day. You know, if you look back to chapter 26 and verse 17, the people, it says, Thou hast avouched the Lord. You have said to the Lord. You have assured the Lord this day for him to be thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto his voice. They had committed themselves to God. And because of that, Moses says, Therefore, therefore, thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God. You have stated that you're going to follow him. So to Moses and the priests, it was a logical thing. This therefore was logical. You've decided that you are followers of God. You acknowledge that God has blessed you. Therefore obey him. Be sure you obey him. It seemed a natural progression. Once you had given their assurance to God that they were going to follow him. Therefore it was logical that they had to obey him. Have you ever wondered why with many Christians today who claim allegiance to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, when it comes to obeying his word, there is a distinct reluctance to take it seriously. They, they somehow behave like spoiled children in a sweet shop at the pick and mix counter. They pick the ones they like, but they leave out the ones they dislike, especially those with hard centers. Am I a pick and mix Christian? We can't be. God wants people who will faithfully follow him and his word. Israel had become the people of the Lord thy God. I was looking at 
John's mission, John the Baptist. And his mission in life was prophesied of him in Luke 1.17. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the, to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was his job. To make ready a people for the coming Messiah. To proclaim the coming of the Messiah and make ready this people for their God. Sadly we read later on in John's Gospel. Our Lord (coughs) came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. John's mission, part of it, was to seek to prepare the people for their God. Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, speaks of those who had accepted Christ. There were those who recognized the true Messiah. That those who had followed him had accepted the message of Jesus Christ. He says of those people, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Just stop there for a moment. What is one of our functions which God desires of us as believers? Here's what it says. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. That's what God is looking for from you and for me He was looking for a people, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. It goes on in Peter, it says, He hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It's not a wonderful transformation. We were in darkness, but God has called us out of that darkness, and we are now a people of God. At one time we did not obtain mercy, but God in his mercy has brought us into his abundant blessing. Israel had become the people of the Lord their God. We have become now the people of God. God in his mercy has blessed us and shown mercy to us, as it said in Acts 15 verse 14. He's drawing out for himself a people for his name. We bear the name of Jesus. That's why we're called Christian. 
followers of Christ? Are we showing forth his praises day by day in our lives? The church of Jesus Christ, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people called by his name. You know, when I become a Christian, I become a soldier of the cross. We have been enlisted in a new army and we have allegiance to a new master. 2 Timothy 2.3 Thou therefore endure hardness, hardship, hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.4 No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We have to please our Lord and Saviour. That's what he's looking for people who will endure hardness, be a good soldier, and please him who hath chosen us to be a soldier. Philemon 1 and verse 2 Paul writing and he's saying greetings to our beloved Aphia and to Archippus our fellow soldier and to the church in thy house. Paul regarded those who worked with him as fellow soldiers seeking to please their master. Therefore therefore as a good soldier it is imperative to obey the voice of the Lord thy God and do his commandments. In Jude, Jude writes, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. Another translation says, I am compelled to send you this letter of warning. You have a battle to fight over the faith that was handed down once for all to all the saints. I am compelled to send you this letter of warning. You have a battle to fight over the faith that was handed down once for all to all the saints. A battle. And we need to be good soldiers in that battle. A good soldier cannot get involved with the enemy. And that's imperative. And yet, we see this happening all around us, increasing as the days go by. John, Second John 9, 11. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son, 
if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine receive him not into your house neither bid him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness and what concord hath Christ with Belial of what path hath he that believeth with an infidel and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols for ye are the temples of the living God therefore come out from among them and be separate saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you the scriptures are implicit we have to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ may we follow them his script, the scriptures which he has given to us as good soldiers for his name's sake that old hymn we sing soldiers of Christ arise and put your armor on strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal son strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power who in the strength of Jesus trusts is more than conqueror Jesus hath died for you what can his love withstand believe hold fast your shield and who shall pluck it from his hand believe that Jesus reigns all power to him is given believe till freed from sins remains believe yourself in heaven pray without ceasing pray your captain gives the word his summons cheerfully obey and call upon the Lord to God your every want in constant instant prayer display pray always pray and never faint pray without ceasing pray may we be good soldiers of the Lord while I was thinking of this I, I thought that we should look someday at the presentation in scripture in the New Testament of priests Moses was standing here in these verses Moses and the priests someday we look more fully into the biblical New Testament offices in the church speaking of the church which is the bride of Christ not an earthly church but I just want to make a few comments and thoughts on this important subject you know we must be able to base all our beliefs on the Bible and not on any tradition of man sometimes if we are bold enough and seek to stand for the beliefs in the Bible as distinct from those used throughout Christendom we're likely to be rebuffed regarded as a bit weird 
and shunned for having beliefs which are not believed by the majority of people today. But as you have said many times by looking through scripture, majorities are dangerous guides in spiritual matters. Millions of people believe in transubstantiation, but you will never find it mentioned in the Bible. Jesus said it was the few that entered the narrow way to life, but the majority found and entered the broad way to destruction. Revelation 1, 5 and 6 Unto him that loved us, the Lord Jesus Christ, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. What do these verses mean? Speaking of priests and priesthood. Who are these priests? They are those who have been washed from their sins in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Born-again believers in God's eyes are now priests offering praise and worship to him. Believers, born-again believers, are the only priests recognized by God in the true church. There is simply no office of priesthood in the New Testament church despite what many proclaim and practice today, you will find no office corresponding to the modern priest as practiced in churches today. The priesthood of Christendom and true Christian priesthood are not compatible and are in fact diametrically opposed. The priesthood of the Old Testament was an earthly priesthood offering sacrifices which could never satisfy a holy God. Man could not approach a holy God, and only the high priest once a year could make atonement first for his own sins and then atonement for, on behalf of the people. While the New Testament priests are all born-again believers who may approach a holy God through the great high priest, our Saviour, never through an earthly priest of any sort. The Old Testament priesthood passed away when the law was fulfilled in Christ. The present day priests of Christendom hang on to the vestments and rules which are borrowed from paganism and Judaism, all amalgamated in a great sacerdotal dead system. I read an interesting article recently, initially about the Mass and the Roman Catholic Church, however, it is opposite to this subject. The problem is the Reformers, fantastic men as they were, no doubt about that, but they did not go far enough in ridding the Church of many Roman doctrines and beliefs. This is what this article said. The Mass 
and talking about the church. The church in a generous eclecticism within the bounds of her liberty and as by some providential power within her she gathers and serviceably adopts as in other matters so in ritual she adopts one thing here another there from various sources Gnostic, Jewish, Pagan to adorn and beautify the greatest act of worship the world has seen. It was thus the liturgy of the church that came to be, full of consolations for the human soul, and destined surely one day under the sanction of so many ages of human experience to take exclusive possession of the religious consciousness. She gathered bits and pieces from Gnosticism, from Judaism, and from Paganism to adorn and beautify the greatest act of worship the world has ever seen. And this system has been accepted by many churches. The same sacerdotal system we also see today a return to the Eucharist being encouraged as a means of unity by churches and it will get worse as the days go by sacerdotalism the belief that ordained priests are endowed with sacramental and sacrificial powers where in scripture can we find that the only priest can celebrate Holy Communion or pronounce the office of absolution? This is regarded as the right only of the priest today or someone licensed by a bishop. The Old Testament was under the law that came from Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood an earthly system, the one upon whom today's priests are modelled. Our Lord, when he was here on earth, we read that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, a heavenly priesthood, continuous in character, eternal in duration, heavenly in the sphere of action. On earth our Lord could not fulfill the office of a priest. He couldn't perform any service in the temple. He wasn't of the right tribe. In Hebrews 8, 4 it says, If then indeed he were upon earth, he would not even be a priest. He couldn't enter into the temple and perform priestly duties because that temple worship was an earthly worship. Our Lord's priesthood is a heavenly priesthood. If our Lord could not exercise the office of priesthood on earth, how can men, men who are outside the tribes of Israel, 
How can they fulfill that role today? If they are Christian priests as they claim they are, then their sphere of service is heavenly and have nothing to do with the shadows of an earthly Levitical priesthood upon which their earthly vestments, their altars, their sanctuaries, their rituals, that's what they're based on. The shadows have passed away. We now live in the light of God's love and grace. We are priests. We go to our great high priest. And through him we go to our loving Heavenly Father. Where do all these things come from? They come from man's idea of wanting to place tools upon the altar that Moses forbade them to do. Man wants to put something in. But God says, it is all through my son, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son. Man cannot do anything. Our righteousness, our acts are as filthy rags in God's sight. I was looking at the, 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 the orders within the priesthood which we have. We have archbishops. And how do we address an archbishop? The most reverend, the Lord Bishop. The bishop, if you're writing to the Archbishop of Canterbury, it we're told we should say the most reverend and right honourable, the Lord Archbishop. We're talking to a man who claims to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have bishops, we have archbishops. If we're writing to a suffragan bishop, whatever that is, we write and say the right reverend and right honourable, the Lord Bishop of so-and-so. We have diocesan bishops, we have assistant bishops, we have deans, we have rural deans, we have provosts, provosts, we have archdeacons. They get the title, the venerable, the archdeacon. We have canons, we have prebendaries, we have clerks, we have doctors. And then we have the ordinary clergy. And of course then you have all the offices within the church that the lay people who are divided up from all these hierarchy. The whole thing is man putting something into place to try and please God. And Peter tells us, we are priests. You and me have access into the presence of a holy God to, through our great high priest, let us remember our Lord Jesus Christ. When he walked this earth, he'd know where to lay his head. He walked in humility and love. And these people profess to represent him here on this earth. The old law has passed away. We now live in the light of our Lord Jesus Christ who is our heavenly priest having an eternal priesthood not an earthly one 
we look forward to seeing him face to face because we have been redeemed by his blood and we have a redemption and an inheritance for us as sure as can anything be sure because we have his word I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also